Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. It's time now for Why It Matters. And we've been talking a lot about how the metaverse is the future. It involves wearing a headset that transports you to anywhere you want to go virtually. You can do it at your own time or at home. And not only will you be able to watch something when and where you want to, but you'll be able to be where and when you want to in that sense. But there are a couple of legal issues and maybe more than a couple of legal issues worth watching out for. For example, in connection with the metaverse, things that are tried and true intellectual property issues not unique to the metaverse. Many have a unique spin given the unexplored legal terrain with regard to this technology. So who the heck should be governing the metaverse? Well, let's try and get some answers with Nathaniel Lim, the co-founder of of Evium. Good morning, Nathaniel. How are you? Hi, good morning. I'm really excited about this conversation. But first, just to set a bit of a street cred, you are going to be a speaker for a panel on the ethics and public policy of metaverse design at the Tech Law Festival. You're also a technology lawyer at Pinsent Masons previously. Let's talk a little bit about your company. It's a community-owned brand hosted on Web3. You've got your own NFTs, including graphics, animation, avatars as well. What else can you tell us about it? Hi, thank you very much for having me today. I'm really happy to be here. So in my current role as co-founder of Avium, it's really a media content company. Okay. And we create metaverse content while using Web3 and blockchain technology so that multiple parties can co-own this metaverse content. I think if you look at the current definition and understanding of what metaverses are, the dominating understanding is that these are virtual worlds and what we call the UI, UX kind of level, the virtualization, how we visualize things. But really, if you're looking for a fuller version of what the metaverse is, you're going to need content to bind people together, you know, to what to say in these virtual worlds. So Avium is creating the metaverse content for the content layer of the metaverse, really. Right. So safe to say you're a lawyer that ventured into media in that sense. I'm a tech lawyer which uh, jumped over to the dark side. We're dangerous, don't worry, man. <laughs> I'm with you on this. But I'm curious though, in your opinion, how did your legal background help you with building Avium? Hmm. I think you maybe take a step back as to what the practice of law is. And I came from, I guess, the more corporate side as opposed to litigation, mm-hmm. right? Law is about the practice of how you incentivize good behavior and how you disincentivize bad behavior. And that's really the practice of law. And when designing Avium, I think Avium, when we are stepping into creating a new virtual world, a new virtual country, and a new kind of regime, there are lots of things to do. When you're talking about community and dealing with people, right? It's a whole big design of how do I incentivize the community to do things that will be beneficial for the growth of everyone. Mm. And yet at the same time, putting in the right restrictions or the right, say regulations, but that's a different term in the virtual world, yeah, but the yeah. right kind of restrictions to ensure that bad behavior is controlled and bad actors are discouraged. Oh, we're going to get into that for sure. But it's interesting. I feel like you like to clarify uncertainty because even as a tech lawyer, it's not like the parameters for technology law are so apparent and so clear. So diving into this, there are more questions than answers. <laughs> yeah, admittedly, <laughs> I think if you speak to any lawyer, they love to answer questions with 
That's just yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I will, uh, I will admit occupational hazard sometimes, but that is the truth indeed. You know, it's interesting. When I first started practicing in the digital asset and cryptocurrency blockchain space, mm-hmm. I had blockchain projects for me to hey, you know, uh, we're happy to engage a lawyer to walk us through regulation. And it was always, hey guys, you know, I'm not sure what regulation applies directly, <laughs> but yeah, let's take a step at it. Yeah. But it's beyond just regulation, right? Because take, for example, privacy laws, data. This is a big thing. You go to Europe, they have one set where whatever website you go on, you have to accept all cookies. Here, maybe a little bit slower, but we've got these things like PDPA. Even if I take a photograph of you, it's data, right? So because it's all so different in different parts of the world, jurisdiction then becomes a problem. Yes, I think... The question of jurisdiction from a virtual setting is a hard question, which I don't think there's an easy solution. If you look at jurisdiction, what we call sovereign state and enforcement of law, traditionally, enforcement has been done when you're within a territory, right? The state is a sovereign state and there's a way for the state to enforce its rule on its citizens and its people because of its force. And in the virtual world, when you have not so clear physical boundaries, I think sovereign states are going to ask themselves really hard questions between who has sovereignty over the activities that run in a virtual world. And I think from a conflict of law perspective and how there's an international need to respect boundaries in the physical sense, how does that translate to the virtual sense is a hard question. Yeah, almost impossible to answer. And trust me, some clown is going to say, well, then let's have virtual extradition laws. I can hear the gears turning, man. I'm sure literature and academia is going to come out on how to solve this. But it yeah, can't I, be solved that way. I mean, there's even pra- I'm interested to see where yeah. this goes to. I mean, there's practical yeah. application as well. And the long-standing practical question has always been, if you're talking about the internet, right, that information highway, why do you have country jurisdictions? Why can't it be a global sort of internet law. Have you ever faced yeah. that question? I have, and this is something we call the harmonization of law. Territories and countries have tried their best to see how can we harmonize law so that it's easier for people to cross borders, you know, to conduct business mm-hmm. and do things together. But I think state sovereignty has always been a question. I think who starts that standard, who leads with that standard, who chairs the committee, who gets the biggest say. I think state sovereignty has always been a very sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. These are some obstacles and friction as to getting this whole global kind of standard. Mm. Nathaniel, in true colonial style, let's try and create our own case law. So this is the scenario. A metaverse created by a Singapore company, right? The server is in the United States. They host two participants, one in China, one in India. These two guys decide to have a quarrel. Which jurisdiction <laughs> is governed here? <laughs> Okay, I think to answer this question, the first thing you can draw down is that there are multiple parties that could be subjected to different laws, right? I think, let's take it from a traditional law framework first before we jump into the more nebulous virtual law kind of setting. I think in the physical world, activities conducted within the boundaries of country, I think those parties continue to be subjected to them. Right. So for example, a Singapore company, if I'm operating in Singapore and my activities and you know my directors are here, my employees are here, my activities are then subject to Singapore. Likewise, if I service in the US, the traditional understanding now is that if my data is there, for example, then I'm subject to US laws, of course, and how I conduct the data that exists within that server. Ultimately, you know, when people participate in a virtual world, for example, there are terms and conditions 
which you sign up to to say, hey, I want to use. So, for example, if you use Facebook or mm-hmm. Meta now, mm-hmm. then terms and conditions govern, and they state what is the governing law which govern the activities there. I think from a physical world, there are a number of solutions which the legal scene has tried to cover, and we apply what we call first principles. I think the harder question is when there's an absence of laws in some of these countries, whether or not in the virtual and independent standard should apply, or whether it's fair to just go back to contract as to terms and conditions, or whether that is sufficient to maintain a virtual state or a virtual metaverse. I think bigger things that we need to look at as virtual worlds and metaverses become more and more prevalent in our lives. Would it be correct to ask the question, does duty of care apply, say, for the service provider? I know it kind of crosses into the law of tort, but as you were explaining that, I was kind of thinking mm. you might face similar disputes with regard to online shopping. And that's something that the metaverse will have. Cyberbullying as well. I mean, duty of care to the person behind mm. the keyboard. Surely some kind of a suit can happen there as well. I'm just curious. I think this is a public policy design question. I think okay. if you look okay. at traditional application of duty of care, one of the limbs required to establish an action in duty of care is that you know there was a clear assumption of duty of care. And I think many lawyers and many companies which engage lawyers to draft their terms and conditions. But I think currently there isn't and they can disclaim it. But whether in these designs there should be okay. an assumed or implied ah. duty of care regardless of you know what they do. And when we look at the metaverse, naturally it's going to require a lot of investment, technology, processing power. Does this unnecessarily exclude certain people from access while you're drafting jurisdictions something worth thinking about? I think it does, right? I think if you look at the internet, for example, mm. as the internet became more and more prevalent and important in our lives, the question of equal access or even internet as a human right, I think became more and more relevant in terms of the opportunities that people have. We're not really there yet in a sense for social media platforms sure. or social worlds or, or metaverses. But I think it's important as we design these things. These are things we consider example for at AVM, right? Yeah. As we design some of these, how do we ensure that we don't kind of unnecessarily gate people or prevent people from accessing these opportunities? Okay. So designing your ownership framework, designing what is the point of access, designing how people access this, I think, important questions to consider mm. in the design of these virtual worlds. And it's a good that you bring up the whole ownership issues, right? Because it's so different across different platforms. Like, for example, if you take a photograph at a Formula One race, the FIA technically partially owns your photograph. But mm. on, say, something like Instagram, this question of ownership has been brought up a lot. You know, people stealing your content in that sense. Yeah, exactly. And I guess this is where we come in as well, right? I think mm. uh, utilizing blockchain NFT technology, it's a new solution people are looking at to kind of enforce and to clarify and verify ownership. Yeah, it, this is the tech infrastructure that is going to support some activities in the metaverse and virtual worlds. But as far as, I mean, at the end of the day, we started a conversation with how do you build this tech infrastructure? How long more do you think it's going to take before we have this legal framework? Because with the speed that these virtual things and digitalization is moving, Metaverse will probably be up before we have the framework. Definitely. I think there are going to be layers to the Metaverse. And as we stack these layers, we get a fuller picture of what a full Metaverse really is. And I think right now, if you see what people are focusing on, and these are disparate technologies developing independently, right? Yeah. I think Metaverse as a start, uh, virtual world, like I said, as a start, no visualization. Yeah, yeah. What's the tech, you know, AR, VR, 
you know, how do I ensure it's that speed, persistent people or synchronous activity within the metaverse. I think mm-hmm. tech is running on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the visual kind of layer. And what is interesting is that for the first time in a long while, there's a third form of ownership where people are happy to exchange huge amounts of value yeah. just because there's a code associated with another code. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nathaniel, I can go on forever, man. I love this conversation. But unfortunately, we're running out of time. I've been speaking with Nathaniel Lim, the co-founder of Avium. Really appreciate your time this morning. Take care. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you very much. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.